Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of Is Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Preston Dennett. He's on to share some uh, new UFO cases that he's been researching, and just the... Uh, the uh, latest UFO news. Thanks for coming on, Preston. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. You've been quite a busy guy lately, man. Everywhere I look, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love doing it. Yeah. I mean, now it's 35 years, so. <laughs> That's amazing. You, dedicated, you, you were one of the most dedicated UFO researchers I know. It's awesome to hear. Yeah, I want to get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's been going on lately in the UFO world? Oh, there's all this stuff going on. I'd, of course, like to keep up with the latest UFO controversies and news and so forth. One thing that's kind of going on right now, which piqued my interest, is the good old Travis Walton case is coming back with some new controversies there's yeah. some people have you heard about this yes um some people are attacking his credibility and uh so i i looked into it i'm like okay let's see what evidence they have to explain away what is one of the most famous cases in ufo history and i have to tell you i'm not impressed with the evidence that's being presented to sort of disprove his case I think what this ultimately boils down to is there is a disagreement between him and one of the other witnesses, a financial disagreement. And uh, he has still stuck by his guns. This other witness, um, gosh, what is his name? It'll come to me. But at any rate, uh, he has not admitted it's a hoax, even though some people have said he's admitted it's a hoax. Mm -hmm. uh, I listened to an interview with him. He says, no, that's not true. Uh, but there's one guy out there, a researcher, who's putting together all this evidence that perhaps this was a hoax. And he says that what the craft they saw was actually a watchtower and that they basically misidentified it. Which, if you look at the interviews, and I have, you know, I mean, this case goes back decades <laughs> to the 70s. Yeah. And it was all over TV. Um, I've listened to hours and hours of interviews with these witnesses i mean they went on larry king live they've been on numerous talk shows and it's clear to me that they're telling the truth There's, i just saw a recent documentary that's been put out uh which was very interesting and all of the witnesses are still sticking to their guns they say what they saw was a genuine ufo and if, you know I'm, i obviously can't rule out that it might be a hoax but i sincerely doubt it and it's discouraging to me to see some people just jumping on this bandwagon and saying, oh, I always suspected something was fishy about this case. 
without actually looking into the evidence one way or the other. But looking at it, you know, the argument that it might be a hoax, I'm not convinced. I'm still sticking by Travis <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all the other guys there. Yeah, I think it's a real case. Yeah. So, so uh, some of my listeners might not be familiar with this case. Can you give them a little background and the evidence and what's being disputed? Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, you have to live under a rock if you're at all into UFOs and don't know about the Travis Walton case. <laughs> but it occurred in Snowflake, Arizona in, gosh, I believe it was 73, 1973. Could be 1975, but I think it's 73. And Travis was out there as a woodcutter, a forestry worker with five other guys. The main guy was Mike Rogers. And that's who the controversy sort of surrounds is between these two gentlemen. But there was several others, Alan Dallas uh, and others, uh, five of them. And they all were just driving home from a long day at work when they came upon a, a UFO, a large craft. And Travis had always been interested in UFOs and jumped out of the truck and ran under it, much to the <laughs> alarm of his friends, his co-workers. And uh, an electrical discharge came out from underneath this craft and struck Travis. And basically, he flew 10 feet and landed on the ground, scared the other guys so bad they took off. And when they drove back a short time later, Travis was gone, and he was missing for five days. Long story short, they were suspected of perhaps murdering him. And uh, they all underwent lie detector tests. They all passed except one guy who was too emotionally upset. Uh, they were so upset, they, a number of them didn't even want to go back to the scene after they had fled down to the sheriff's station. And Travis reappeared five days later, traumatized, and uh, with only partial memory of what occurred. What he did remember was being taken on board, physically examined. Uh, he jumped up and threatened the gray type ETs. They quickly filed out of the room. He started to sort of follow them, went on a cor curving corridor into another room where he saw a chair. And as he approached the chair, the, room, the walls in the room sort of faded away, turned transparent. This is a detail that turns up in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Travis did actually punch one of the beings and described it as being very soft and marshmallow-like in texture. This is another detail I've heard from others. Right. And uh, I mean, all the details he says are pretty much what, what we hear from other people. And he was eventually approached by human-looking ETs and wearing helmets, or what appeared to be sort of transparent fishbowl type helmets and they led him into another room where he saw other craft it was apparent to him that he was now on, on a different craft because he could see this, that he was in a very large hangar type room mm -hmm. where there were other craft parked and these he had been led out of one of these craft into this hangar like room so he was clearly on a mothership and these human looking beings took him into a room and laid him out on a table and rendered him unconscious. His whole onboard experience probably lasted no longer than 15 minutes. So what happened during those five days remains a mystery. Travis was never able to retrieve the memories, although he did go under hypnosis. He encountered a very strong memory block. 
I think probably he woke up at the tail end of all of this. I don't know. Hard to say. Um, he feels now that the ETs, that he was probably medically hurt as a result of this electrical beam striking him and that the ETs healed or helped him or even saved his life. So it's an interesting case for sure. Uh, and yeah, there are controversies surrounding it. But what I like about this case is it's got multiple witnesses. There is physical evidence in support of this case as well. Uh, I do know of other witnesses in the area. Right. Um, who's sort of started or who saw stuff at the same time. There was electrical interference. So it's a good case. Yeah, yeah. it's a very good case. So, so how, if there's five witnesses, one guy disappears for five days suddenly reappears, tells a story, confirms it under hypnotic regression. How could just one witness go ahead and start disputing it? Um, what happened was this case became extremely famous. The amount of media attention was almost unbearable for all of the witnesses. At one point, they were all offered amounts of money to retract their story. They never did. But the media frenzy never really ended. And Travis, of course, uh, had a book written about his case and then another book and a movie and had an enormous number of speaking engagements. And uh, there was, of course, finances involved with this. And uh, what it came down to is uh, Mike Rogers feel, feels or claims that uh, tra Travis owes him some financial compensation and uh, there was a you know some bad blood developed between them uh, this is no secret this has been well known recently at least uh, and this is sort of what i think prompted all of this but none of the other witnesses have retracted their story and you can still look back through the media interviews with all of these gentlemen and you can see how truly emotional they are about this experience, how they describe it in great detail. You may remember Phil Class, the mm -hmm. arch debunker. He came on and boy was Mike Rogers mad <laughs> um, at, at Phil Class and just told him up and down, like, no, this happened, this happened. And yeah, the controversy puzzles me. Uh, but this is what happens with, with cases that have a lot of evidence or attract a lot of attention. Uh, people, you know, anyone who's on a high horse or the king of the castle gets a lot of attention and people examine their case in detail and go through it with a fine tooth comb. Hmm. And uh, it becomes a matter of some controversy. So, So do you think it's just financial stuff or do you think that maybe there was some information put out by him that um, the powers to be are trying to discredit. Um, could be, because what happened was there was an audio interview released in which Mike Rogers said it was a hoax, flat out, and this was played all over Facebook, and that's what started this. And Mike Rogers then had to do an interview and said, nope, yes, I did give the, that interview, but it was stitched together. The interviewee talked about his conversation with Phil Class, in which he 
was accused of hoaxing and uh, Mike Rogers used the word hoax and talked about, you know, the hoax allegations. And as anyone who's ever been interviewed <laughs> knows, you can be basically made to say anything the interviewer wants you to say using creative editing. Uh, but by, uh, I mean, I've had that happen to me going on some of these UFO shows. Mm -hmm. It's, it's alarming <laughs> and repellent. Uh, that they can make you say stuff that you didn't actually say by just sort of stitching together different answers to different questions and so forth. And so that's what, what Rogers claims happened here. Uh, he, so yeah, there's been some controversy around it. And I just, as a, a researcher who looked into it, um, because, you know, when someone gives testimony, inconsistencies do turn up. Witnesses don't always give the same details, mm -hmm. uh, and they their story can change a little bit because memory is faulty, and so some someone has gone through these these interviews and pointed out various inconsistencies, uh, and said no, what they saw was a water tower or a watchtower rather, which was not too far from where all this happened, and it was manned at the time, and the person there didn't see anything, uh, which is not proof of hoax because right. we know ufos can block their presence from whoever they want to uh so i'm still standing by this case based on the evidence i've heard uh i know there are hoaxes out there but in my experience hoaxes are few and far between and people who try to pull one off soon learn <laughs> to regret it uh, because they get widely attacked and coming forward as a UFO witness, people automatically don't believe you. Right. They get a lot of flack, a lot of ridicule, a lot of disbelief. And Travis has basically said, you know, he regretted it initially. I think he's probably okay with it now. Uh, but he did not expect the explode, you know, the atomic bomb basically that went off after they went public. But he was forced to because he was missing for five days. And that is sort of an outlier that That's doesn't turn strange. up often. Yeah. But there are other cases where people have been missing for a full day, two days, three days, four days. And I know a case involving a gentleman who was taken for two weeks. Uh, but these cases aren't as widely publicized. The, the Walton case got publicized because there were so many witnesses. And uh, it was very hard to explain away, and it still is. Wow. What did the, did, did the police interview him when they found him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was interviewed many times by UFO researchers and municipal officials uh, over and over again. And uh, the lie detector tests were readministered as well. Yeah. And the, and the guy who initially failed eventually passed. Travis Walton passed his lie detector tests. And uh, the guy who gave the lie detector tests, um, Silas something or other, uh, spoke in this recent documentary that was put together, which was actually really well done. Yeah, I saw it. And, and he said flat out, there is no possible way these gentlemen <laughs> are lying. No possible way. And if you see the interview, I mean, these gentlemen, it's now decades later, and they're still shaken. They still talk about it. They remember it vividly. 
It wasn't a watchtower. They all described this craft as being beautiful, you know, magnificent, absolutely otherworldly. And that's a description you hear from witnesses. It is very impressive when you see one of these things, especially close up like that. Do you think the craft that took him was a smaller craft and then that craft took him to the mothership? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And according to the book on the case, Mike Rogers actually did catch a glimpse of it as it took off. I don't know whether he's confirmed that or not, but he saw it out of the corner of his eye and they had driven away and watch it zoom off. And uh, I do know that there was a witness who saw a craft coming back in that area at the time Travis returned. Mm. And at the time of Travis Walton was being taken, there were numerous people in that area who reported electromagnetic interference on their televisions and radios. That was unexplained. Travis Walton returned to the scene of that incident and says that there is landing trace type evidence involving unusual tree growth. This is another matter of controversy because the skeptic skeptics are saying, well, this was farther from the actual landing site than Travis originally described. So there's some dispute on where precisely this incident occurred. Uh, so, I mean, it's easy to pick apart a case if you weren't there, you know, uh, yeah. but it's, I think, a completely different matter if you're an actual eyewitness, because then you know. I mean, firsthand experience is the only way you're going to know if it's true or not. And we as observers, as investigators, are left in a position where we almost don't have the tools to determine if an incident is 100% true or not. There's always going to be some level of doubt there. Was there any evidence of the injuries from when he was thrown? Uh, no. No. Travis, when he was returned, they did have his, you know, took his blood. He did have five days of hair growth on his face uh, and his blood. I'd have to look into it to get the exact details, but I believe there were some indications that he had been without proper nourishment for some days. Uh, so it's, a, yeah, I mean, on all accounts, it's a valid case. Hmm. I, I mean, I find it very convincing. The mothership idea. Do you think that these motherships are actually ships that are traveling? Or do you think maybe they're more like space stations for aliens? Probably both. Um, I would imagine that they are more akin to what we would think of as an aircraft carrier type thing. <laughs> Uh, where we you know, park our planes and go off and do our missions. Mm -hmm. and, cause, and yeah, they can move, them on, move around. Uh, but I, I speculate that they park up there, some, you know, out there deep in outer space or where, where have you. And uh, then the ETs can basically come down and scoop up people and do their examinations and give their messages. And... Uh, do their studies of animals and plant life uh, and all the other things that they're obsessed with with, with our planet and us human beings. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think like on, on those larger stations that there is different groups of ETs working together? Yeah. And maybe even humans? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That turns up quite often. 
someone is taken on board a craft. Uh, it is not at all unusual for them to see various types of greys. Little short ones, worker, workers, maybe AI, androids, perhaps. And then taller greys, five to four to five feet, even six feet, who are described as, you know, emotional even, mm-hmm. or perhaps clinical, but not necessarily. And tall whites, human looking uh, people, very much like us, but often described as being very muscular, looking very similar to each other, uh, looking genetically, I don't want to say perfect, but along those lines. I don't like the term Nordic. That's a term that's often used, Mm -hmm. but it's not accurate because these people are not all Caucasian. They're not all blonde hair and blue eyed. That does often turn up, but they're dark haired as well, dark skinned. Um, I've heard them described as being Middle Eastern or or Mesoamerican. There are accounts of what we would, you know, black ETs, people of, you know, like African ancestry. Mm -hmm. Um, So all different races. Yeah. Praying mantis, working together with greys, working together with human looking ETs and human beings, full on humans who live on board the craft. Um, that, that does turn up. One gentleman I interviewed from England had that experience. He, he often wakes up during his encounters. He remembers a lot of stuff that can't paralyze him. He's sort of an outlier when it comes to the contactee population. Uh, he remembers. He's a, what we would call a conscious contactee. Wow. And he woke up. Yeah, he woke up during an experience. Uh, an encounter uh, and he was with a human female and uh, it was his distinct impression that this female who was very interested in talking to him was uh, basically someone who had lived her entire life on board the craft and I've talked to other people who had that same impression because uh, there these People are very interested to talk to the human beings who are from Earth and don't often have that opportunity. So they get excited and they're like, and both sides start asking each other questions. So yeah, I think there are human beings who living are living their lives on board UFOs. Wow. So what does that guy remember specifically, like about his converse? I mean, to be able to. For him to have be uh, um, not able to be controlled by them, or like you know, so he must have a lot of details that he remembered in that particular case. Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite chapter of one of my books, um, onboard UFO encounters, Gary versus the Greys, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and and uh, that's a pseudonym, by the way, but uh, he. <laughs> It's not particularly happy about having encounters because it's been very traumatic for him. Uh, but he started to be able to wake up when they would come. He could feel them coming. And often he would you know, be paralyzed and have missing time. But at some point that stopped happening. <laughs> and he jumped up and punched one in the face at one point. <laughs> um, another time he ran up to one and started choking it. And uh, he would sometimes wake up during an encounter. One time he woke up 
and he's looking he's standing in, in what appears to be the control room and there's two little grays driving in the you know their little seats there looking through the porthole or the view screen and he sees a desert scene and it's he's it's earth and it's clear to him he's being returned back home so he just enjoyed the view for about 10 minutes and finally he decides he's going to say something uh he's from england and he shouts out all right lads um and that caused the, the grays to completely panic one in fact jumped up from its seat raised its hands over its head and started running around in circles in this <laughs> very small control room and the other was gripping the controls you know the panel and was very nervous and finally gary just says you know don't worry i won't hurt you don't be afraid i'm not going to hurt you which was funny because i mean talk about irony mm -hmm. you know tables turning <laughs> that's exactly what the et's usually tell them tell you know the contactee don't be afraid we won't hurt you so gary is telling them that and finally they calm down and stop the craft and come up and they have a conversation and gary asked them uh why are you taking people and they he got a strong impression of sadness from them and they said we're not allowed to tell you and he says well can you let me remember this and because you know missing time is a big part of all of this mm -hmm. and uh they said no no we you're not allowed to remember. And uh, at initially, that's basically the gist of it. They, said, they told him they'd never had anyone wake up before and how did he do that and so forth, which he really had no explanation for. <laughs> uh, it just happened spontaneously. So he wakes up the next morning with no memory of this, but later that day, it just kind of plops into his head. And uh, he also remembered coming out of what appeared to be an underground base, perhaps in the uh, U.S. area. Some, it, uh, that was his impression. It was a desert somewhere in the Midwest or the West, you know, perhaps the Mojave Desert or Area 51 area, mm -hmm. Nevada. He can't really say for sure because he doesn't know, but he had a clear memory of this craft swooshing out of this underground area on Earth, and he's inside of it. <laughs> standing there in the control room behind these grays. Uh, so now he's wondering if he was not taken into, you know, a mother ship, but rather to an underground base, which is entirely possible because that does turn up over and over again. Yeah. And yeah, he remembered it spontaneously and he now thinks that the grays did as sort of a favor for not like causing, you know, wreaking havoc uh, in the control room allowed him to remember interesting wow so um what else is happening that's going on oh i'm interviewing another guy on the east coast who's having a little bit of difficulty dealing with his experiences i haven't really gotten too deeply into it this is more of you know when, I, when someone contacts me my first goal is to of course help them in any way i can Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're just going over his experiences, which appear to involve grays. He's in his mid-60s, which is quite unusual, because usually that's around the time when things start ramping down. And instead for him, they're ramping up. 
and this is causing him concern because his family is becoming involved. Uh, so far as far as he is aware, his kids have not reported his, any experiences, but his wife has, and his brother and brothers-in-law, and uh, he's a little bit worried about it uh, because he's never really researched it, uh, but has finally had to come face the fact that he's having experiences, and that's difficult. That's difficult for people. Uh, but another lady I interviewed just recently uh, had an experience where she felt like she was being healed. She woke up and these ETs, who she assumed or sensed were ETs, were standing behind her in her bed and uh, told her, don't be afraid, we're here to heal you, and pushed this energy through her body. Uh, and she had no fear. Um, she felt this energy was very strong, though. Recently, she had seen two UFOs close up, and the year prior to that, she had a very strong spiritual awakening. This is a pattern I see quite a bit. And uh, she had no illness that she's aware of, uh, so she's not sure why these ETs were coming to heal her, but that's the impression she got. But what I did find interesting was that she was left with another very strong impression. And actually what I'd like to do is just quote what she says, uh, because this is a message that the ETs give a lot of people, and it's an important one and somewhat alarming. So I'm not trying to alarm people, but just got to tell the truth about what the ETs are saying. Their number one message has always been warnings, warnings of nuclear proliferation, of pollution, of our warlike ways, our greed and corruption, and of upcoming earth changes. And here's what this lady says, and I quote, I know things that are going to happen on earth. There are going to be major earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, and fire, all extreme weather events that you can think of happening globally and increasing in frequency. Millions of people will lose their lives, and the ETs, I prefer to call them higher evolved beings, she says, are going to help some people at this time. The entire world's systems are all going to collapse, the governments, the banking system, all of it. And it's Mother Earth. She is cleansing and purging the planet as humans are not living in balance or with love. And her message from the ETs is to connect to your soul. Meditate and go within. The answers you seek are within. I feel compelled to tell everyone this. So yeah, it's an alarming message, uh, but it's one that keeps turning up. And I think it's better to know the truth rather than to live in ignorance. And we are and have been seeing an increasing frequency of, you know, catastrophic weather events oh uh, yeah i'm in alabama we're just getting ready for a major hurricane it's heading yeah. towards like uh louisiana which isn't far from where i'm at and now is the time to start gardening to you know be prepared it's always good to be prepared for emergency we should all have enough water and food to last a good long time uh, I think that's just common sense. Yeah. We've had we've had a lot of earthquakes here where I am in California. It always shocks me right after an earthquake 
how many people are lined up just to get water. They do not have water to last, you know, in well, a couple of days. It's funny because I, I work in, in a retail at a Sam's Club. And today we complete, we sold out of water by, by 11, 11 a.m. We were pretty much out of water. Yeah, there's a Hopi prophecy, by the way, that when the day comes that water is sold on shelves in stores is a signal of the beginning of the end times. And everyone thought, you know, that prophecy was crazy. Who would ever sell water? <laughs> water is free. It flows in rivers. It fills in lakes. And now here we are, of course. Water is as and it's expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like buying a gallon of gasoline. Uh, and yeah, other Hopi prophecies are coming true. Uh, the, basically, the Native American elders are saying the same things as the ETs, who are saying the same things as near-death experiencers, who are saying the same things as our mainstream scientists. Our mainstream scientists are talking all about climate change. Uh, so wherever you look to for knowledge, whether it's enlightened masters or astral travelers or near-death experiencers or channelers or Native American elders or scientists. There is an important message here. Earth is out of balance and it cannot be allowed to continue. Uh, but I'm encouraged because there, I agree with this out of balance uh, statement. Uh, it's obvious there's an unequal distribution of wealth. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of, you know, unnecessary hatred and, I mean, it, corruption and greed. Uh, it's ridiculous. We should not be living this way. So this is ultimately good news. I don't know if there's going to be widespread loss of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do know that ETs have intervened in other major natural disasters uh there was there was a case i investigated in which a lady by the name of pat cates uh she lived in louisiana and uh back in 1984 she woke up and uh found herself standing outside of a ufo this was one of her quote ufo dreams as she called them uh, and uh, this time she wasn't on board a UFO, which was usually the case. She was standing next to one. And it's a long story, so I'll just shorten it a bit. She was standing outside this, what looked like a South American town, or you know, Peru, Mexico. She couldn't quite tell, but it was definitely not the United States. And she went with this ET into this town, this village, and started taking people and pulling them on board a craft, a very large craft. There was another craft right nearby, and they were also doing the same thing, and ended up pulling a bunch of people on board um, until you know, for hours, all night, basically. She didn't question anything, neither did any of the people, and uh, finally pulled about 1,000, maybe 2,000 people on board, many hundreds, at which point there was a huge explosion, a volcano exploded nearby. The craft lifted up, scooped up a few more people. And uh, next thing she knows, she's 
being placed back on her driveway in Louisiana. And the craft has landed and the greys are escorting her out into her bedroom and she wakes up the next morning, calls her friend and says, you're not, not going to believe the, this is a doozy. <laughs> this UFO dream I had is wild. And uh, starts to describe it to her friend and her friend's like, Pat, I want you to hang up the phone and turn on the television right now. And Pat's like, why? And her friend's like, just do it. <laughs> hang up and turn on the TV. And so that's what Pat does and turns on the TV and it turned up the Nevada del Ruiz volcano in Colombia had just exploded. This was November of 1984. And it basically wiped out the town of Armero in Colombia. And it killed some 23,000 people, they estimate. Uh, and I'm going to pull those figures down a couple of thousand <laughs> because of what Pat said. But she said there was her dream in full living color on every channel. It traumatized her bad. I mean, she had to go to the psychiatrist. She ended up seeing a government psychiatrist who told her candidly some after several sessions that he had heard similar stories in his work with other government employees. Hmm. So yeah, I think ETs will intervene during a major disaster sometimes. Interesting. You know, I recently, I, I haven't even put up the interview yet, but I had interviewed um, Michael, Reverend Michael Carter, and, oh, yes. um, and and the ETs gave him the ability to heal, to heal people. And I want to, I have to admit, like when I interviewed him that day, like I had been just recently been like through this sort of like you know traumatic experience. And then after talking to him, I felt completely different. Wow. Do, do you think that the ETs could have given him some kind of ability to affect people that way? 100%. Absolutely. And that is the single most common, what I would call spiritual gift or transformation that people report as a result of a onboard UFO experience or extensive encounters or a face-to-face -face meeting with the ETs. And they will tell people as much, you now have the ability to heal. I just put out uh, a report on one of the cases I investigated, which occurred years ago during the Northridge earthquake here in California, where a lady by the, well, it's a pseudonym, Marcelina, uh, who lived in Topanga Canyon, not far from Northridge, saw UFOs on the night before the earthquake. She was not the only one. I remember this earthquake. I went through it. It was devastating. 6.8, 57 people lost their lives. Uh, but so they kind of gave her some sort of warning. She was actually so wired from this huge sighting. Her and her boyfriend decided they would sleep in the living room. Good thing they did because when the earthquake struck, they had a big statue of a buffalo head sort of placed over their bed and it crashed down under their bed. She, she feels like she probably would have been killed or at least severely injured. And it was two weeks following this event that she had a, a visit in her home by she described as cat-like ETs. They didn't have hair, but they looked like mm -hmm. hairless cats. I hear that fairly consistently. And they told her 
that the paintings she had drawn of all these outer space scenes were pretty close to where they lived, but not quite. Uh, she had been compelled to start doing paintings. And they told her we're having trouble reproducing, we're looking for new ways to reproduce. Uh, and she ended up having a missing pregnancy following this event. Uh, she went to the doctor afterwards and uh, had had, um, you know, she lost the pregnancy and uh, they could not find the fetus in the sack. So she now is wondering if perhaps the ETs took her baby, like they you know, basically said, but they said, you have the ability to heal. You have the ability to heal yourself and others. And it was something she actually did. Uh, she draw, she developed a hernia and the went to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, we're going to have to operate on this, obviously. And she went home and meditated and placed her hand over the hernia and it disappeared. It went away. And she later dropped a marble slate, like a cutting board type thing on her foot, on her toe. And she was pretty sure her toe was broken, but she quickly grabbed it and sort of did a healing on it. And it was only just mildly sore afterwards. She couldn't believe it. And she's healed other people. And I hear this all the time. In my latest book, Wondrous, I interviewed a lady uh, who had face-to-face visitation with grays they told her the same thing she would have the ability to heal they healed her back and she's since healed several other people of severe back pain uh, i've had contactees give me personally sort of a healing or pushing energy through you mm -hmm. and, and boy oh boy one lady i could and i did this at least three times and uh each time i could physically feel it i mean one lady felt like water was being pulsed i mean i don't even know how to describe it it was like almost like an electric shock but more, almost felt like water was swimming up my legs she had grabbed hold of my feet and pushed energy through and it was like <laughs> i mean you could feel like chi or energy kind of being pulsed right through you and another lady she was doing it she had same thing giving me the ability to heal became a healer afterwards this is another thing i hear over and over again uh, another lady, she quit her job as a telephone operator, became a healer. <laughs> but this other lady, she's, she agreed to give me a healing. And as she's doing her, you know, Reiki type movements, started to see like this green and pink pastel lights. I'm blinking and I'm kind of, are my eyes going screwy? Because <laughs> it looked almost interdimensional and a little strange and unfocused. But I kept seeing it. Finally, I just told her. I'm like, I think I'm seeing lights coming from your hands. And she smiled and says, oh, yeah, didn't I tell you that? People report seeing pastel greens and pinks and yellows. And I'm like, yeah, it's exactly what I'm seeing. Wow. This, and I talked to Michael Carter, really cool man. They healed him of a blood clot in his leg. Mm -hmm. And I know of a couple of cases where they've healed people of blood clots, severe blood clots. This that can be a very life-threatening situation. And uh, I know at least three people that have been cured of blood clots. Uh, he's one, I, well, one of two I talked to personally. And yeah. uh, I think the ETs are helping people who are helping humanity. And Michael Carter is a, you know, a reverend. 
spiritually counsels a lot of people. He's a healer. And he also is an active social worker. He was commended, won an award for his work against racism. President Clinton gave him an award. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Like when I was talking to him, it was like he read my mind and just started talking about the issue that I was going through. It, it was just, it was crazy. It, it was just like, like he, he just like read my thoughts, started talking about it, you know, and, and, and it was, I don't know, just what he said to me was like so deep that I could almost physically feel his energy. And then afterwards I felt better. It was, <laughs> I was like, damn. I have never had that experience with a guest. Yep. Yep. So, oh, it's such a beautiful thing <laughs> to experience that. Uh, and Barbara Lamb, she's another researcher who's talked quite a bit about this. Uh, Misha Johnston, she had a bunch of um, clients who also reported this and who were told that this is something that they are igniting within people because the time may come when it's needed. And it's surprising how many people who are doing good work for humanity, nurses, doctors, social workers, environmentalists, uh, musicians, teachers, writers, uh, inventors, police officers. These are the people who are being healed, who are having contact or being contacted and given these spiritual gifts. So this is why I just don't buy the alien threat narrative. Because um, this is a really good thing to happen to people. They are blessed. They are happy about it. It's incredible. It's inc you know. I wonder, you know, if if they could do it to one person at a time. Do you think there's a way that they could somehow magnify that type of healing to have a global effect? Yeah, I do. You know, you're talking about Michael Carter and how he seemed to be almost be able to, you know, re read you. Yeah. Well, this is something the ETs do. They're very telepathic. And when someone has contact with ETs and experiences telepathy, it ignites that ability within them. And so when someone like Michael reads you, it ignites that ability within you. And each person, this is one of the ways we become enlightened with the company you keep by hanging around people who are vibrating at a very high level and have these abilities, you start to pick up on it and it transmits to you and uh, it spreads in a good way. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is a good kind of pandemic. We have a pandemic of enlightenment going on right now and it's super important. This is one of the main ET agendas. This is why they're going from person to person to person and waking them up. And each of these people go from person to person to person and help wake them up. Uh, and it is creating sort of a snowball effect until we get to the point where corruption and greed and, you know, the unequal distribution of wealth and hatred and divisiveness all falls to the wayside. And we live in an era of love and truth, which may sound all, you know, puppies and rainbows. Uh, but that is definitely the way to live. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so clearly the correct choice. 
and something that will happen because progress is something that you cannot stop. Evolution marches forward, not backwards. We don't devolve. Uh, you know, our social systems almost naturally have a tendency to move in the right direction. And we're seeing that, and we've seen it for thousands of years. Bit by bit, there's, you know, women are gaining equal rights. And uh, we are being treated much better than we were in the Middle Ages. Uh, our lifestyle is much better. The food choices, our you know, shelter, our clothes, our ability to transmit information, the technology. Technology has advanced a little too quickly our, in terms of spirituality, which has not quite kept up with it. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a major concern of the ETs. And that was a message that really cropped up in the contactee era of the 1950s with people like George Adamski and Howard Menger and all these guys were getting that message. And uh, the Greys came along and they gave the same message. <laughs> and this is coming from the praying mantis too. It's astonishing when you hear these cases from any type of ET. It's the same message. So I am hopeful and I don't buy, you know, I know that it can be very traumatic to have a UFO encounter. And some people don't like it. They are upset. They are absolutely traumatized. They are having nightmares. They have PTSD. They cannot sleep without the lights on. Uh, they're having a hard time. Uh, but that is largely the fault of society who trains us to fear, fear, fear especially anyone who's different, fear them. Uh, and if what actually happens when someone's taken on board, yeah, it can be scary. But as I've said, I know I've said this on your show before, I don't have really any accounts of outright sadism or torture. It just doesn't happen. Yes, some encounters are traumatic. Yes, sometimes the ETs give the impression of not being emotional and having a job to do and kind of you know, moving very quickly and in a way that doesn't seem to take into account a person's feelings or fears. Mm. Uh, but if a person does not have a strong fear reaction, generally speaking, their encounter is incredibly benevolent. Um, these guys are not here to hurt us. It's right. clear to me. I, I totally, I believe that also. You know, and, and I do have, I have a hard time sometimes with people like David Icke, who says that there's reptilian aliens eating humans. Right. The reptilians, huh? You know, I, I've gotten a few cases, um, and I've talked to some people who've had encounters. I wouldn't say I've personally investigated, but I've certainly talked to quite a few people. Barbara Lamb, one of my favorite researchers, uh, had a face-to-face encounter with a very friendly reptilian alien. Mm-hmm. I know another lady who was somewhat famous in the field. I believe her name was Pamela Stonebrook. Her encounter was benevolent. Uh, but I talked to other people who were like, no, it wasn't benevolent. And I did talk to a lady who had a face-to-face encounter out in the wilds in Florida and uh, scared the living daylights out of her. She had the impression this reptilian wanted to eat her for lunch. She took off. And uh, 
a lot of these reptilian cases don't involve UFOs. These are beings that are seen out in the wilderness often. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to rule out the possibility that some of these reptilians are not nice. Mm -hmm. um, whether they eat people, I don't have any true evidence of that. Uh, but you never know. Right. Do you think the reptilians, though, maybe are native to, to our planet, not necessarily alien? Yeah, yeah, that's what one lady from Florida who's a contactee told me. And uh, she says she had very distinct, she didn't meet reptilians. She had a very extensive encounters with greys and was left with a very strong impression that the reptilians are dinosaurs, intelligent dinosaurs who survived the, you know, the cataclysmic event, the existential event that basically uh, killed the dinosaurs off. And they went underground and survived it and have lived here longer than we have, uh, which that would be interesting. Would yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the whole reptilian thing is, I have not really focused on it. There's some researchers who have really focused on the reptilians. And some of it's pretty alarming. And, and some of it's clearly fear-based. Yes. Uh, but some of it could be just pure valid research. I mean, if these reptilians have the ability to shape-shift and look human and infiltrate our society and have reached high levels of government <laughs> and some of the people who we think are presidents and senators and world leaders are reptilians. <laughs> I mean, this is something that is seriously being considered by, you know, large segments of our population or at least people within the UFO community. Yeah. And I can't completely rule it out because there is, is an evil force on our planet that has pushed us into a state of, emergency how did this happen you know what happened to cause such hatred and wars and corruption and evil uh something went wrong and that's possible that there's something to that uh, this is a wide universe uh, we still have a lot of mysteries surrounding human origins our relationship to the ets where we came from uh our place on this planet where we're going. Uh, so I'm not going to rule out anything until we know, know, know. And uh, eesh, that, that worries me that perhaps we do have some really unsavory elements within our own government, because it's clear we do. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, looking at this whole recent, and I'll put this in huge air quotes, <laughs> disclosure, uh, that was a joke. I mean, it seriously, was a just big, fat old lie and totally disingenuous for yeah. them to say, oh, you know, UFOs might be extraterrestrial when they clearly know. They know. They have the physical evidence. So I don't trust them. I don't trust our own government. I don't trust them farther than I can throw them. And I can't throw them an inch. So... I'm worried. Yeah, I'm worried that there are unsavory elements. Maybe it is the reptilian. <laughs> I don't know. I I like to deal with facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because rabbit holes are abound in mm -hmm. this field. Yeah, I'm not too... I, I'm, I don't know. I, I have no idea about the reptilian thing. You know, I, and I've heard, you know, bad things. And I've also heard people say that they've had good encounters with them also. 
So, I, I, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's strange. Um, you know, I did an interview a while ago with a guy who said that he had a telepathic connection with Bigfoot, with Sasquatch. And he says that Sasquatch is somehow connected to a star council. And also, like, he has that same message about taking care of the planet. Do you think there is any connection between some type of star council or or, or space elders and Sasquatch and and us? Oh, this is heavy duty stuff. <laughs> um, I kind of cringe when I think when I talk about you know intelligent Sasquatch. Sasquatch was something I really resisted researching. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was a can of worms, and I was really afraid it might be real. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to become a Bigfoot researcher? And at some point, yeah, I ended up having to do it because you don't solve any mysteries by ignoring evidence. Right. And I finally ran into a case involving a, a UFO landing followed by a Bigfoot sighting. And that wasn't the first. More came after that. And I looked into it. And you can march out 50 to 100 solid cases in which these two phenomena intersect perfectly. And by that, I mean someone will see Bigfoot coming out of a UFO or going in or in the same location at the same time. so it's clear there is a connection. Bigfoot is real. It's sighted all across the U.S., all across the world. goes by different names depending on the area. The evidence is compelling. It's overwhelming. It's 100% real. Anyone who looks into it objectively, throwing away their misconceptions, I think will come away convinced. Uh, many, you know, Jeff Meldrum, he was a mainstream anthropologist. Yeah, anthropologist. Yeah, footprint guy. Yeah, he, he came away absolutely convinced. Jane Goodall, she surprised a lot of people when she says, yes, I'm convinced Bigfoot is real. And she was one of the first to even really look into you know, the large primates in mm-hmm. any meaningful way. And what I find out, found out in terms of Bigfoot and Sasquatch is uh, at least some of them are in, intelligent, as we would think of it, sentient beings. Um, some might be uh, on a lower scale, you know, intelligent primates, so to speak, just wandering around in our forests and mountaintops. There's a lot of wilderness out there. People don't quite realize, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we're largely clustered in cities. Yeah. And there's still vast areas that I won't say they're unexplored, but certainly plenty of places for Bigfoot to live. And if you plot the sightings on a map, and people have done this, Bigfoot sightings and encounters occur in places where there's water sources and food sources. They're often on higher elevations, mountaintops and rivers. And and, uh, absolutely real. Um, I think they are intelligent. And if you go through these many, many hundreds hundreds, who am I kidding, 100,000 Bigfoot reports. Uh, Some involve paranormal elements. Telepathy turns up often, a lot. My first case had telepathic elements. The guy said he felt like he was in telepathic contact with it, and it was intelligent. 
The second case, same thing. In the second case, the Bigfoot was talking to this lady and told her flat out that at some point there will be catastrophes on Earth and it's his job to help rescue people and that they were caretakers of our planet. So having examined, you know, I wrote a book about Bigfoot, a couple actually. I've got a whole library of books on it. <laughs> I'm, I would call myself a Sasquatch researcher, really. But yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, I am. Because I've investigated for cases firsthand, and I've got, and I follow the phenomena. Um, I'm not sure I would flat out say they're part of a quote star council, uh, because I haven't really found any evidence of that sort of thing, other than to say that ETs work together in a way that's very concerted, very much in agreement with each other. They're all highly telepathic, and. Uh, know about what the other is doing and have sort of uh, sort of uh, integrated agendas where they all work together to achieve whatever it is, which includes, you know, warning people about disasters and trying to save our planet and stop us from destroying ourselves. So yeah, Bigfoot is part of that. As near as I can tell, they've been around as long as modern humans, uh, if not longer. Right. And are considered the caretakers of our planet. That's what he said. And have the ability to turn invisible mm -hmm. um, and travel interdimensionally. Yes. So in effect, they are have a way of uh, dis disappearing, mm -hmm. moving into the, what we would call the astral realms, which we can do too, particularly if you're super spiritually advanced. Yeah, I, I saw that you've done some recent interviews about astral protection yeah yeah this is a big big part of my life this came along at the same time as my ufo research and i never really kept quiet about it i just didn't i was busy with my ufo research <laughs> um, i mean i actually i wrote a book about my own experiences so it's not like something i've kept hidden but it did sort of i sort of did mm -hmm. i sort of kept it quiet uh but this is no coincidence, I think, that this sort of happened to me at the same time. This happens to experiencers. I've come to realize on some level I am an experiencer. I mean, I've seen a bunch of UFOs close up. I did have a case involving missing time. Uh, so, yeah, I think <laughs> um, some, this, this is one of the things they do to people. They turn you into healers. They turn you into astral travelers. They give you the ability to do precognition and all kinds of spiritual abilities. So we have the ability to do what these Bigfoot are doing, uh, but we're just not as advanced as they are spiritually, unless you're like a Tibetan yogi out there in the Himalayas meditating all day in your cave and have mm -hmm. learned how to levitate and turn invisible and have immunity to fire and superhuman strength and all of these things that you can develop through yogic tradition. Um, these are natural human abilities that are the norm when you're on the astral planes. You teleport when you're on the astral planes. You fly, you levitate. That's how you travel. <laughs> everything is telepathy when you're on the other side. And everything is telepathy when you're in, on board a UFO. And it's telepathy with Bigfoot. Humanity is a telepathic race. If you look into the history of telepathy, it's been proven in a laboratory setting. 
And for that matter, so has human levitation. People may think of it as you know, unproven, but they, they would be wrong. Uh, it has been proven. Uh, it was proven by Herward Carrington. It was proven by Baron Schrenk Matzing. There's a bunch of experiments that have taken place which have proven levitation as a scientific fact. So my point is, uh, yeah, the Bigfoot are spiritual. They are a part of all of this as much as we are, as much as the ETs are. And at some point, we're going to join this galactic community. There's going to be a big shift in understanding, a big paradigm shift, uh, when where all humanity is sort of raising up a level and we move away from the greed and corruption and the just wars that we've been going through for, what is it, 2,000 years now? More. Do when it comes to astral projection, I wonder, one, do we really need our physical bodies? And then the second thing I wonder sometimes is, is my physical body really even physical? Um, no, it's not. Not as we would think of it. I mean, the physical plane is real, obviously. I mean, if you bump your head on a rock, oh boy, does that hurt. <laughs> I mean, I've, oh, we've all had that experience of tripping and falling or... Mm-hmm scraping ourselves or a headache or a cold or all the wonderful things about being physical, eating, <laughs> having to evacuate waste. And uh, yeah, I mean, the physical world is real. We're, we're immersed in it and it's very gluey. It's trapping. It's like molasses. We're stuck in it. And we've lost our connection to a large extent of who we truly are. We have amnesia. We don't remember our prior lives. We don't remember that we travel to the other side every single night. Uh, but scientists know, and we've proven this through quantum physics, physics that uh, matter is largely energetic. Uh, what we think of as solid matter isn't really solid at all and can be interpenetrated. And this is something you can demonstrate to yourself when you go out of body and walk through walls. Uh, and this is something ETs certainly do. They walk right through walls. They've learned that technology. Uh, I believe we probably have too. It's just not being released. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, definitely, I think we don't need to be physical. This is something we've chosen to do because... It's fun, it's interesting, and it's very enlightening. And uh, you can have experiences on the physical plane that you can't have on the astral plane. There's a waiting line to get in, onto Earth because they don't. those are people who have never incarnated into a physical body don't know what loss is. They don't know what individuality is. They don't know what pain is or, or you know, what food tastes like. And how do you describe that to anyone? There's no way. You could never describe a chicken nugget. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, which I love. You know, I love chicken nuggets or sour cream and onion and potato chips or, you know, what ice cream or, um, or what it's like to feel pain. Uh, the only way to uh, know what that is is to experience it firsthand. And so people are lining up to go to Earth and graduate from the Earth School. According, you know, Robert Monroe, I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar but, with him. Oh, I love his books. He's written three of them, and they're 
probably my favorite in all the literature on this, which yeah. is extensive. I actually have some of uh, some remote viewing cassettes that he had recorded for Project Stargate that one of the uh, participants sent me. Yeah, I bought one of his Hemisync tapes, which is supposed to help you, you know, go out of body. It mm-hmm. plays different tones and stuff. Yeah, I ended up doing. You know, he had a whole program. Um, I forget what it was called, but you could go there and learn how to astral travel. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, but the it's expensive. Monroe, the Monroe Institute. R- right. Yeah, it is expensive. And expensive and time consuming, and, <laughs> and uh, I just don't have the time or money. Uh, because you know, I have, I've only until like last year I've been working full time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not a rich man, uh, so I just couldn't afford it. But I did it on my own. I took his book, he gave the exercises, and I buckled down and I did it, and I got really good at it. Um, seriously, I, this is something I has been a big part of my life. I learned how to do it. I can't encourage it. Enough. Which book did you use? I mean, it was his first one. First one. And then I read his second and his third. And then I read every single book I could find. And I have about 50 now. <laughs> uh, because it completely transformed my life. Uh, and yeah, we have the ability to leave our body. And boy, the things we can do. I mean, this is my favorite subject next to UFOs. And probably eclipses it to some extent. <laughs> can we board alien crafts through astral projection yep yep that happened to me once it was a very vaguely remembered experience but i found myself on board a ufo and there was the author of one of the near-death books i had bought not too long ago I forget her name hasha hanti something like that mm-hmm. she's a there she was and i'm looking at her like oh my god i just instantly knew who she was oh, wow and that's that's all i remembered but uh, yeah, you can do that. People have done that. Once I was traveling out of body, and I know how this must sound to a skeptic, like, "Oh, he's traveling out." Like, sure. No, well, don't believe me. Try it yourself. It's not hard to do. You can do this. It's something we all do every night. It's something we will be forced to do at the end of our lives. We're going to be permanently out of body, <laughs> and yeah. then you'll know. So believe me or not, but at some point, everyone's going to find out this is real. Oh uh, yeah. But, yeah. I popped out of my body and I'm flying to the other side because that's where all the fun is. That's where mm-hmm. the action is. And I saw a gray on the way. I'm like, whoa, what's that? Oh, And I zoomed up by it. It was a gray alien. He was looking at me. Boy, that scared me. <laughs> Man, I'm like, whoa, oh my God. Uh, I should have stopped. Now that I, I think about it, I, I should have stopped and said, hey, dude, what's up? High five or high mm-hmm. four. hi three (laughs) Um, because that would have been cool i could have gotten some messages Uh, but yeah you can absolutely the ets have mastered travel to the other side and if someone's taken on board a ufo they are in effect traveling into what we would think of as the astral planes i think sort of recently come to that conclusion because people it's there are strong, strong parallels to near-death experiences, to out-of-body experiences, and people have the same after-effects. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a modality. There's different ways to becoming, you know, aware of what's going on. Some people have a near-death experience. Some people will have a UFO contact. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, a so you can out of body near death experience, and it, it changed me forever. And it's one of the things that motivated me to start this podcast. Oh wow! Yeah, doesn't surprise me a bit. And uh, boy, for, for myself, having had out of body experiences, one thing that really shocked me was um, all the psychic stuff that sort of surrounded it. Because mm-hmm. I. Robert Monroe, I mean, he did talk about it, but his books are really advanced. And you sort of only absorb what you <laughs> have the ability to absorb at that time. And uh, rereading them, I'm like, oh, yeah, he did talk about it, but I sort of skimmed over it. Uh, but started having all kinds of precognition. Seriously, I'd come back, I don't want to say every time, but often with a dream that which would come true. Sometimes it would be little things like, oh, this person at work got a haircut or, you know, oh, I know someone's going to give me a present and I know what it is. Or this person's wallet was going to get stolen or you know, this person is going to get ill or there's going to be a shipwreck. I love shipwrecks. I'm obsessed with them. That's a past <laughs> life thing. Uh, and I had a precognition of a major shipwreck. Uh, so... This is another thing that happens. You, you raise your awareness. And it's the coolest thing. I love, love, love it. When suddenly you'll be just walking around and you have a clairvoyant vision. Like, oh, I bet there's going to be brownies for dessert when I go up to my dad's house for dinner. <laughs> there was. I love it I just, when that stuff happens. It, it's really cool. Once, one of my favorite ones was so weird. <laughs> I was driving to the bank. and needed to pick up some cash. And uh, got this picture in my head. It crowded into my thoughts. And, you know, you have a mind's eye. And you can visualize stuff. And this is sort of a way to psychic development. is through visualization exercises. You can visualize a rose or the deep blue sea and all this stuff. And it helps sort of open a pathway to clairvoyance. And I'm driving to the bank, which is a few blocks away. And this vision came in of a man who looked kind of scary. He was dressed in a leather jacket. Uh, I believe he may have been bare-chested, or I don't know. I don't quite remember that part. But he had long hair, which he was whipping around, and crazy eyes. And just a big, hulking man. And after it flicked into my brain really like four or five times in a row, I'm like, what am I thinking about this for? This is weird. Because... I you try to connect it to something like was this a movie I saw? You know, you're like you're trying to rationalize it, mm-hmm. um, as you do when anything strange happens. You're like, is that a helicopter? <laughs> you, know, you, you don't jump to UFOs or ghosts or anything like that when this happens. You start to like really question your sanity, and at least this is my experience personally, and certainly with the people I've interviewed, I, I hear it all the time. But it was such a powerful impression that as I drive up to the bank, I'm like going slower and slower. I come around the corner up to the ATM and there he is standing right next to it. And I'm like, oh, my God, he was over six feet tall and whipping his long hair around, crazy eyes, leather jacket, whole deal. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, that was a warning for me until he leaves because no, I'm not going to get robbed. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. So I just waited until he left. But man, to see something 
physically that you first saw sort of clairvoyantly is a trip. It's wild. I that I loved that. That was a one of my best sort of. Do you think visions. that you do you think that kind of thing happens because um, there's no such thing as time as linear time? It's like we can kind of um, maybe jump a page ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, time. I wonder about that. Time, as near as I can tell, certainly exists here on the physical plane. <laughs> I mean, you can feel it. We, we live day to day and experience events in a sequence. But once you start going on to the other side, weird things start happening because you start to have visions of the future. You can actually go to the past and see it like a landscape. And mm -hmm. you can jump from place to place. I mean, you can be on, pop out of your body and boom, you go to Area 51. Boom, you're in Florida, Maine, Colorado. I've done this. And so you're teleporting. And when you collapse distance, um, you're collapsing time. Because, you know, rate times time equals distance. That's mm -hmm. a mathematical formula. And that shows that time and space are a product of the physical plane. There is no such thing as distance. Right. Because think about infinity. How big is the universe? It's infinite. But how big is infinity? Well, it's the size of a tiny little dot. Because if you were to go as far away from infinity as you could and look back, how big would it be? You know, it'd be tiny. Distance is not, it's a, it's a, a misnomer. It's not understood. It's not real. It's a product of the physical plane. The stars are far away. Yeah. Here, you know, moving matter from one star system to another is Presumably, I mean, we know it's difficult, but these Tibetan yogis are apparently traveling to other planets and can manifest their bodies on other planets physically because they have learned how to overcome what we think of as time and distance and space. No, time, you're right, it's, it's an illusion. It's a product of the physical plane. So then that would probably mean that the ETs have already figured that out too. Yeah, which is why they can come and say, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, beware, there's going to be, the Northridge earthquake is coming. Uh, and they have done this. There's a number of cases where they have predicted disasters or future events of all kinds. And they're saying it over and over again because they can see it coming. Uh they are there watching it. Uh, I'm still confused about all of it because time feels so real here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people talk about past lives, but people who've done past life research and are ardent past life, you know, researchers often come to the conclusion that that's a misnomer too. Mm -hmm. They say that actually it's simultaneous lives. That's what and, I think it is too. That's so interesting to me because what? I, I mean, because I, 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 actually like during one of the, the, the out-of-body experience that I was mentioning earlier, um, a week later afterwards, I received a book in the mail that I didn't order. And it was called Time Paradoxes. And it wasn't like something from Amazon. It came from Oxford University. So it was like an obscure thing. And the receipt was dated six months in the future. 
What? So so one of the things that I think may have happened is that, that when I had that experience, that I went into myself six months in the future and sent myself that book back in time to remind myself that I could be done. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard other similar stories where people have had like double receipts or things from the future or things that can't be. Yeah, yeah. I took a picture it's of like, it even at the time just to, so I had proof. That is like the most amazing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> wow, Gary, that's that's incredible. Man, that's solid proof that, yeah, what you're saying, time is not what we think it is. It's, it's weird. It's awesome to think that, wow, right now I'm living in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. I'm also, because I've, I've done a lot of past life exploration with uh, the astral travel stuff because it bleeds into your current life. And if you want to know what your past lives are, or your let me just rephrase that, <laughs> your simultaneous lives, uh, there are ways to discern this. And one way is to look at your likes, you know, your proclivities, what you're attracted to in terms of food and clothes and culture. Another would be your phobias. You know, what fears do you have? Uh, because often these are directly traced to other lifetimes. Another would be illness. Illness is sometimes a result of trauma experienced in another life. And there are many, many cases, I want to write a book about this actually, of people who've done past life regression and cured themselves of physical illness. I've heard quite a bit of that, yeah. yeah but that's what happened to Bruce Moan. He's a major astral traveler. And he had an astral travel experience where he recalled a simultaneous life. We'll call it that now. I always call them past lives, but I'm changing my <laughs> lexicon right now um, to, to current, you know, other lives. I think that's an easier way. Uh, he recalled being hit by a spear in his liver. And in this life, he was suffering from sarcoidosis, a chronic liver disease. It was killing him. He was not doing well. He was degrading quickly. Uh, but after recalling this, he was healed. Another person was healed of eczema. Robert Monroe had this mm -hmm. experience, a pain in his hip, I think it was. Uh, so there are ways that you can figure out what your past lives are. Um, your taste in food, you know, all, all these little clues, talents. There are kids who are born with an incredible talent to play the piano. Boom. How are they doing this? So what um, were you in a past life? A pirate? Yes. Why do you say that? <laughs> That's... <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I have this whole thing about ships. Yeah, I did mention that. But uh, I went and saw this medium. And she's like, what's with you and ships? I'm like, you tell me. <laughs> I'd really like to know. And she says, oh, I see you as a pirate. <laughs> I'm like, really? Which totally makes sense because at one point I got obsessed with pirates and I was so disappointed to find almost no literature out there on actual, you know, pirate life. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's what I think I was too in a past life. Because I, I have, am, matey. <laughs> because, because I have that, has that same obsession you know, and even like in my, my current life, I still have like some of those traits of like, you know, 
Um, I'm just, I've always been like sort of an anarchist. Like I don't really believe in government and rules and stuff like that. And, and just sort of just, just living, just living and doing what I want. Yeah. Pirates got a rad, bad reputation, but a lot of them were nece- not bad or evil as we think of them. No, there were, a lot of them were, were renegades. Well, yeah. Yeah. They were, they were mostly ex military guy, ex British military, ex, you know, there were military people that were just tired for fighting with their, for their governments. Yeah. Because the government would actually conscript you and force you to fight a war. Yeah. Against your will. The British government, you know, they did, oh. It's terrible, and they people were dying of scurvy, and just man, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So that was a way of fighting back and get, gaining your independence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've remembered a lot of the past life thing because it's so interesting and fun to do. And what's fascinating about it is often you're taken, you know, you're like on the other side, and like shout out, "Take me to a past life," sort of thing, and boom you're taken to the death scene. <laughs> the most traumatic scene in that life is often the death scene. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I died in a shipwreck. I remember that. I died in the Holocaust. That was grim and, and brutal. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, once I was raped and killed, I didn't even want to remember that. I pulled myself out of it because I already remembered it. And, uh, but another time I was just a teenager or not even a teenager. I was a real young kid in the wild west i was a native american boy on a spirit quest with two other kids and our spirit guide our you know teacher but i remember that vividly boy i got shown a bunch of stuff Hmm. and the the white man treated us like dogs to have them look down at us and just sort of i mean he didn't physically spit on me but he he practically you know just the way he looked at me like wow Man, I'm a human being too. Who the hell are you to look at me that way? Um, it was disturbing. So I had a lot of emotion wrapped up in that whole incident where I went on a spirit quest. I think that's why I was taken to it. But another time I was in a, I guess it would be Civil War times or slavery times, and I, I escaped. I was being held in a southern mansion, <laughs> and I, I escaped. I remember it vividly. Because uh, I have, it was so much emotion attached to it, and there was this white lady who was in that house who let me escape. Uh, she caught me as I was trying to escape, <laughs> and I was like crushed. But she quickly pointed to the door and motioned me to go. And I will never forget that white lady <laughs> who let me go. I was like 17 years old. I was almost six feet tall. I was very slender, very dark skinned. And poor, 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 that house was so rich, I couldn't believe my eyes just looking at the wood floors, the leather on the chairs. All of it was just mind-blowing in that experience, just to look at. Wow. So There was a lot of emotion attached to past life, or excuse me, other life recall. (laughs) Interesting. Having that kind of detail is really intense yeah and i'm not even that good at it i've talked to some other people who just blow my mind they i mean they can pull out just detail after detail the whole lifetime Mm. some people have actually spoken other languages other languages that they do not know so uh, 
It's absolutely a real thing. We are not who we think we are. We are multifaceted beings. You will always be Gary, you, but at some point you change your name and you change your clothes. And by your clothes, I mean your body. Mm-hmm. And, but you're still you. And that's, and that's something I really struggled to understand and am still to a certain extent for a long time. Because I want to be me. I don't want to be someone else. I, you know, I don't want to die and lose everything I've you know, worked so hard to remember and gain and learn. You don't. Yeah, you don't. You, you, don't. Just, you just change your name. Yeah. You just change your body. Yeah. You might not remember everything, but... At some point you will. But you, st- you do stay the same. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know I was still the same when I had that out-of-body experience, you know. I was just like, oh, wow, here I am, and I don't even have a body, <laughs> you know. How'd that happen? <laughs> it feels good, though, doesn't it, <laughs> to fly around? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to come back. Yeah. Yeah, I still have that problem. I'm like out there on the other side. I'm like, wee, wee, wee. And I get pulled back. I'm like, oh, back on Earth. Darn it. I, I, I think I just get tricked co- into coming back with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> you know, like it gets waved in front of me like a cat. Like, oh, you got to go back. <laughs> hey, go get it. <laughs> if we didn't have some fun, fun down here, why would we even go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's like they wave it in front of me and throw it like I throw like a, a ball for my dog, you know. Go <laughs> <Look> get <at> it. <laughs> You know, it's so cool. like, oh, I'm back down here again. <laughs> yep. Hey, it's one of the fun parts of life on Earth. Yeah, it the, is. The, the music, the dancing, the sex, the food. Yep. Nature, you know, laughter, children, all yeah. of it. It's, there's lots of awesome stuff here on Earth. Yeah. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Chicken nuggets, pizza. <laughs> oh, I love pizza. Yeah, I am all about the pizza. No such thing as a bad pizza. People ask me what kind of pizza I like. Pretty much all of it. No anchovies, but otherwise, <laughs> you order it, I'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> well, man, thank you for uh, coming back on. And hey. uh, before we wrap up, where can my listeners find you? You can find me out on the astral planes <laughs> or on board a UFO. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I do have a website. <laughs> I'm inhabiting the cloud. Uh, yeah, if you type in my name, it should take you there. My books are on Amazon. I'm on Facebook. I'm doing Twitter as well. I do have a YouTube channel where I'm putting out my research furiously. I just did one on the smell of UFOs. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a, a kind of fun, unusual bit of research that there's not been a lot out there about that. So, yeah, I'm having fun. I love this subject. There's just layers and layers to it. Awesome. I'll post links to your website and to your books on Amazon and the notes of this episode. Make sure my listeners purchase them. Hey, that's help, awesome. To help support it. the cause. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're moving towards a really different world. I'm excited when these UFOs finally come down and start scooping us all up or landing. Yeah, me too. And the, and the secret government just throws its hands up and gives up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that will happen. I really do. I'm so, an optimist. Something's going to happen. Something has to. Yep. Something's got to give. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for being on, man. And hang on for one second. I'm going to play the outro. And then I'm going to go eat some good food. <laughs> Probably Chinese. <laughs> Everything you made.